1: Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of The Book Report. My name is Adam and I am joined, as always, by your master teacher, Caitlin.
0: Hello, how's it going, Caitlin? It goes well.
1: Are you ready to talk The Count of Monte Cristo? Yeah, very long awaited. This is our first book report (laughs) in what, three, four months?
0: Something like that. This is, yeah, it took a, a bit to read and even longer to play out.
1: It did take a very long time. I remember when we were first started kind of working on this arc, you were like, you know what? I think we can get maybe four or five episodes out of this arc. (laughs) That very quickly turned into what ended up being 10 episodes.
0: That is that is one of my greatest weaknesses that I am working to overcome as a dungeon master. It was actually very similar to me becoming a teacher is the pacing. And so you think like, yeah, I can get through this. No problem. And then you actually get into the thick of it and see it play out for, for you guys to be able to interact with NPCs, to talk to one another, to figure things out. It takes much longer. And so what originally was going to be, yes, in my mind, four episodes in and out, uh, turned into <laughs> some, something more like 10. <laughs> so that that is a skill that I am still working on.
1: And I, so. I don't even think it's... I don't think it's uh any mark against you as a DM, I think, because it's it's such a it's such a different skill-based than just being a DM, being a dungeon master in a living room with your friends. There is no set time or episodes or you know a beginning and end that kind of Very launches true. into the next to be continued necessarily. So you're having to you you have more hoops and things to jump through than just a normal dungeon master would. Playing that. with his buddies, because then, then it's yeah, like that, there is that. no pace. You can just stay in the tavern and talk the entire session for six hours. For you, that's it's what like floats we need your to get here. Boat?
0: Yeah, but here we, we have listeners and we got to keep them entertained. Exactly. As well. We, we got to keep also, ourselves entertained and, and we also have yeah. to know the story is moving along. So I think there,
1: it's, what yeah. we're, it's what we're trying to figure out with the show, just in general, is like not trying to rush things, let moments breathe, but then don't let them drag and c- continue pushing forward. But sometimes we have so many good things where it's like, man, I just want to sit here for a little bit. One of my favorite moments in the entire arc was just the poop monster. And thank God we (laughs) came across the poop monster. But if you just, I'm sure in your head, maybe that was something that seemed like that could easily be cut out. Because looking at the whole 10 episode arc now from, you know, from uh, a mile high view... You would look at it and be like, oh, that was unnecessary. But that's the, kind of, that's the kind of coloration or whatever, lack of a better word, of what makes those feel kind of lived in and real. Mm-hmm. And a mm-hmm. lot of humor is found in those small moments. Yeah. So and you guys, you guys took the small moments
0: and you ran with it. And that's, that's what's so fun being your DM is watching you guys take little details that sometimes I think are very innocuous. And then you find golden nuggets in it, even if they might be brown nuggets too. But you dig into them and it's fun to just like sit in it with you guys and see what interests you. But Adam, do you remember when we used to play D&D in person for like six to eight hours? Do you remember that?
1: Before, before children. Oh before God, what children, a time to be alive! COVID. Before, before COVID. Yeah, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Just me and my beer, and my the Cheetos. Floor. Yeah, Just, sitting yeah. on the
0: floor with crumbs accumulating around you. Oh my God! When the
1: session ended after five hours, and you're like, "Man, why aren't we playing for another five hours?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I you're can't like, do "We that should anymore. get up
0: and take a walk, you guys. I'm feeling like a slug over here, and then we'll get back at it." uh, Those
1: were the days. I hope that we can do them again sometime, but probably won't be anytime soon. when our
0: daughter goes to college.
1: (laughs) Don't even say such things. Anyways, we both digress. Let's get to the the matter at hand. We are here to talk The Count of Monte Cristo, Mm -hmm. the popular book by, and I will butcher this pronunciation, Alexandre Dumas.
0: Ooh. Yeah, I know you uh, want to do it justice and say uh, it in that French accent or you can as say as I'm twisting
1: it, my mustache. No, I'm sure I am sure I butchered it. that.
0: Uh, you know, or you can just say a very Americanized Alexandre Dumas. You can also say it like that and or you can
1: like the guy from Shawshank Redemption say <laughs> Alexandre Dumas. That's how you can do it. Yeah. I wasn't that bad at least. No. But so yeah, so we're here talking about this book A book that is often on high school reading lists. It was on my high school reading list. It was? And I I absolutely read an abridged version that I'm pretty sure had pictures. I think looking back on it, I'm pretty sure it was a children's book. I'm pretty sure they adapted it to children. Wait, I I need to
0: find this copy. They turned Count of Monte Cristo into a child-friendly book.
1: I'm pretty I need sure. To see what
0: happens in, in this plot. and in my
1: and in my mind at the time. My 15 or 16, however old I was at the time, uh, that my mind at the time, I was like, you know what, Spark Notes or Cliff Notes? That's not long enough. I need I need something more here. But also at the time, I didn't want to read how long? How many pages is this book? Oh God! I, I think is it, it over was, 2,000 or 1,500?
0: It was around 1,500. It didn't clock okay. 2,000.
1: Or 1,500 thereabout. I was like, I'm not gonna read that because I was an idiot in high school. So I was like, you know what? How about a hundred pages? A little bit, it's not Spark Notes, it's not the novel, but maybe there's some details in here enough in this abridged children's version or whatever that had I'm pretty sure it was maybe it was a coloring book. I don't know. <laughs> oh god. Maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it wasn't you guys, that bad. Guys,
0: if any of you find a Count of Monte Cristo coloring book, Please let me know. Uh, Maybe it wasn't let meant know. to be colored let on. Us know Maybe on I Twitter. colored on it. and I
1: wasn't supposed <laughs> to. Yes, we will find this. I will find this. But uh, yeah, a classic book, and I'm sure for a reason. And that's what we have you here for. Our master teacher, our high school English teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, you can guide us through this. And so I want to start as we always do with the history of this book. What can of you course. tell me about Dumas? In writing this book and anything behind the scenes that might be interesting to our listeners.
0: There, yeah, there are some really cool things. I'll, I'll give you the basics, as I always do. You know, kind of like the, the context and the time frame it's coming from. Since we are, you know, only using stories for our podcast that are old enough so that we don't get shooed or anything like that, then, right. you know, it, it's, it follows along that line. So it was written and published in 1844. So next month that would make it about 177 years old.
1: That's not um, our oldest book, right? Is is Robin Hood the oldest book still?
0: Yeah, Robin Hood. No?
1: Are they all, have they all been 1800s?
0: Yeah, I think they've been all about the 1800s. Even even okay. Robin Hood was 1800s.
1: Oh, it was. Okay, I don't know why. Cuz the story goes back much further than that. That's but true. The, the, that's that's what I'm confused. The actual okay. book
0: that I used was from the 1800s. Um, But yes, for those of you who have no idea who Dumas is, uh, he's the same author as you perhaps have heard of The Three Musketeers. He actually wrote um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and that was made into a movie. Um, And then also Man in the Iron Mask. So a lot of his famous works have been turned into films um, of adventure and revenge and just sweeping romance. And so he is associated with a lot of well-known stories. Um, that really I, I grew up all hearing of. Uh, but I, I never read it any of his stuff for for school. It was never assigned to me. It was actually in college that I read Count of Monte Cristo just for fun. <laughs> oh, it wasn't
1: assigned. You're like this sounds listed. <laughs> no, fun. it was,
0: you know, English lit major and that yeah, yeah, that's all awesome. I was naturally going to go towards it. And because I was reading it for fun and because I wasn't reading it you know for a grade or anything I had a ton of fun with this book. Granted, it's it's the longest book that I've read for our series as well so far, longer even than Moby Dick, but still, it didn't feel that way. There was constantly something happening with each chapter. But as a short synopsis, um, this story is about um, a young man, Edmund Dontas, who was our <laughs> NPC, and he's framed for crimes he didn't commit, and he's arrested the night before he's gonna get married to his bride to be Mercedes and he eventually escapes becomes crazy rich after digging up buried treasure and while in disguise as the Count of Monte Cristo he seeks sweet sweet revenge on all those who had wronged him and successfully oh. does
1: it. He just goes like on a revenge like murder murder spree.
0: It's not a murder spree. Um, he I, I don't. Even though like I have recently read this, I, he doesn't murder anybody. He doesn't like cold blood like poison them. gun to the back or, of the head yeah. or, or instead he thing. ruins them, which actually oh, okay. is even better. Like he brings them to bankruptcy, he ruins marriages, he uh turns sons against their fathers. Uh so it's it's in it's really one of those where if you ever want to see a lot of people think of um you know, it's fun to watch well-planned-out heist movies come to fruition. A little bit of like Ocean's Eleven. But mm-hmm. here it's also really cool to see a well-planned-out revenge fantasy that is hatched out over years come to fruition as well.
1: So the whole book isn't about just breaking out of prison. Did, did the Mm-mm. whole storyline of breaking out of prison, does that happen happens halfway really through the book?
0: Yes. He, he gets out of Chateau d'If... And uh, escapes with his life and then becomes rich, like, within the first third of the book. How does so he become rest-
1: rich? <laughs> oh, you said he buried, he, he, he dug up buried tre- treasure. buried treasure. Okay. Yeah, so
0: uh, th- there is somebody he meets in prison um, who becomes his mentor, Abe Faria, another NPC that we come across really quickly. Right, and, right. And, uh, yeah, that, that old man basically says, like, I have a bunch of this treasure that I had accumulated and I was trying to get out of here, but I have been unsuccessful. So maybe you can succeed where I failed. Mm. So if you do, here's where you need to go. And so he, he uh, gets all of it from his mentor, just a bunch of jewels that are worth so much. Yeah, it is. It's a fascinating story. So I highly, highly recommend it, especially if you like a little bit of adventure with a lot of angst in it that comes to a good fruition, and mm-hmm. even just like if you know you want to tap into that part of your brain that loves the idea of revenge, but you also know it's not going to get you anywhere. This allows you kind of to live out that revenge fantasy.
1: Is there anything you can tell me uh, that's interesting just about the author himself, Dumas? Yes. He, was he, was he yeah. born in France?
0: Yes, so he is he is a Frenchman, but what makes this, what makes him very fascinating for this story, is actually his father. So this is, as I just mentioned earlier, this is really like a revenge fantasy, even for Dumas. Um, his father is the whole reason he wrote this story. He was basically turning his father into. Uh, Edmond Dantes, And so his father has an awesome story behind him, which I'll share in a sec, um, but he's giving his father the revenge that he never had. Mm. Um, so a cool thing is, um, so his father, also named Alexandra, um, but he went by Alex. Anyways, he was born in 1762 in what is now Haiti. And he was the son, uh, illegitimate son of a white French count and a black enslaved woman. And so later historians actually have referred to Alexander Dumas' father as the Black Count. Um, There's a really good biography of him under that name. So any of you Bridgerton fans? Mm. (laughs) If you wanna see a cool uh, Black Count or Black Duke, uh, a lot of them were using a little bit of his story as background to this, um, but anyways, of of of
1: the of the author because his father you yes. said was white and his mother was was black. His,
0: his father was white, mom was black. So read into that what that means, right, um, right, right. And so he was seen as an illegitimate son of a count, but still with some of the status. And so at that time, in the 1700s, the French Empire actually offered legal protections to mixed race people at the time. So he still retained rights as a citizen. So by age 14, even though his father was treating him horribly, um, even though he wasn't forced into slavery, he was still treated as second class in his own household, he made his way to France and he enlisted in the army, um, the Revolutionary Army. And he became very successful in it. He rose up the ranks, winning battle after battle, terrifying enemies, earning quite a name on the battlefield. And eventually he served directly under Napoleon. The two of them yeah. and he became kind of frenemies with Napoleon. Like the two of them didn't always see eye to eye, but uh, Dumas's father was so good at what he did, he begrudgingly, you know, caved into him. But eventually they decided the French decided to invade Egypt in seventeen ninety eight And they disagreed how to do it. And so they had a huge falling out. And so Napoleon held some serious beef with him. So a year later, Dumas' father was taken prisoner of war in Naples. And usually when you have high status prisoners of war, it's very expected, it's a, it's a great expectation for generals and those in the lead to basically negotiate for the release. Well, what Napoleon did is he's like, never mind, I'm just going to let you rot there. And took the whole army and left him.
1: And so, this is du- du- Dumas' father.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So he was he was in prison um, for basically serving, you know, for doing something that he was supposed to do. And his own commander, because he was jealous of him and disagreed with him, left him there to rot. So he was in that prison as a prisoner of war for two years. And it took his wife, um, Marie Louise, to petition and go there and pay. I'm assuming his wife
1: isn't isn't Dumas mother.
0: Yes, it is. Oh, so, it is? Mm-hmm.
1: They yeah. actually married? Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So um, Dumas is married to a woman. Her name is Miagi um, Louise or Marie Louise. Um, and they had a kid after he got back from being a, a prisoner of war. And that is our author, Alexandra. So that, even though it was only two years that he was a prisoner of war, it did a number on him. By the time he was released he was partially paralyzed, he was blind in one eye, he was deaf, um, he had been poisoned in prison, and within the next five years, he was even dead from stomach cancer. And our author, Alexander Dumas, wasn't even four years old yet. And so he has only like a faint recollection of his dad, but his mom tells him these stories of his prowess in war of the injustice of his birth, of the injustice of what Napoleon had done to him. And so he carried this with him. And so what he does with our story, with uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, he turns his father, right? A Count's black and illegitimate son into the Count of Monte Cristo. And he gives him the rewards that Dumas believes should always have been his father's. So it is really cool that we get this revenge fantasy played out by our our author and he's imagining this whole time his father as the role of our protagonist and so alexander Dumas's father was of mixed race and rose up through the ranks of the revolutionary army in france was wrongfully imprisoned and died soon after and so his whole life Alexandre Dumas had heard of his father's heroics and the injustice of his life. And so he's trying to write this revenge fantasy um, in honor of his father to give him the ending that he thinks he deserved, including naming it the Count of Monte Cristo. Like, his father should have been a count, but because he was of mixed race, that was taken from him even then. Gotcha. So uh,
1: So the author of Count of Monte Cristo, he... His father was of mixed mixed descent, but his mother was black. Exactly. So was he? He was three quarters. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I was definitely getting confused by all by the same names. We need to call him like Dumas Junior or something like that. So I know that was confusing me. Um, yeah. So okay, so Dumas, so,
0: Alexandre Dumas, is a person of color. Um, he is, by all accounts, he's a quarter black. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Okay. And so then he wrote this book. To honor his father, the father that he doesn't, he didn't, he never really knew that well. I mean, I guess he, right. knew he was four.
0: Yeah, he, he wasn't he died. An even, he was just before his fourth birthday that his father passed away. So yeah, he's not even forming long memory, like long term right. memories of him. Right,
1: right. Okay, so, I mean, that's, that's really fascinating uh, with history and relating, having relationships with Napoleon and, unjustly Mm -hmm. imprisoned. It's very tragic and, ugh, that's a a lot there. I'm sure it's been made into a movie probably at some point. A lot of books. A lot of books books. about this story. Yeah. So, can you tell me why, Caitlin, why this book is significant? Why people should read it? It's, it's on a lot of reading lists. Besides the fact that I'm sure it's beautifully written, was Mm. there anything significant about the style of writing the message, what, what's made it be so significant and on so many school reading lists after all this time?
0: Well, like I said, I've, I've never seen it on any school reading list for when I was in school and also as a teacher. But I can understand why it appeals to such a wide audience. And that is, it explores some of the darkest depths that we go to when we have been wronged. Uh, but it goes further with its action than we dare hope. In that you actually see a character carry out with patience, with long suffering, um, seeking retribution for those who greatly ruined his life. And then coming to the end of it and also realizing that his pursuit of revenge doesn't fulfill him. But what does is trying to then help the later generations of those that have hurt him. So helping the, the sons and daughters of the men who betrayed him um, and setting them up for a better life actually is more fulfilling for him. And so it, it has this, you see in the same person darkness and light. You see in the same person revenge and punishment and human justice with grace and forgiveness and hope. Um, and so I, I like that really fully fleshed out picture of somebody who's not like this superhero who within a few years trains really hard and takes out all the bad guys himself, but over decades allows bitterness to seep into him. But then still through, through his own experiences... Realizes just how much more forgiveness and, I guess you could say, well, hope, um, <laughs> really mean to us as well. How much more we need community than we need to be right.
1: It's fascinating that, and I know you're you're the English teacher. I'm the film major. And so so many things I just always kind of go back to film. It's like a crutch and what I know really well. And Mm -hmm. it's funny how everything you're saying about a lot of the plot and a lot of the larger themes that make it that that resonate with people and humanity as a whole really are all similarly baked into the Shawshank Redemption. There's so well, there's, there's many There's a reason why you have
0: that Easter egg of they mentioned right. the book. because Yeah, I mean, I the, wonder, you,
1: I, I'm sure there's, I, I haven't looked it up, but I'm sure there's something about maybe Stephen King was trying to do his take on, a, on that book, or maybe he was a he fan is. of the book. No, and, the,
0: there, there have been interviews with him where it is a definite inspiration for him to write The Shawshank Redemption.
1: Because it's funny, that yeah. all, all the reasons why, I you know, if you're on, if you enjoy movies and you go on IMDb and look up like their. The The films that are the top rated, for, you know, after all, un, and with all these films and all of film history, Shawshank Redemption is number one. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. why is this number one out of all films? And it's probably the same question I asked you about the significance of the book, because it's everything you just said. It's those resounding themes of of hope and community and grace, and forgiveness, triumph of the will, things like that, that... Themes like that that speak to us as a whole, as a humanity, and strive for.
0: And it's not, and, and it's through suffering, right? It's not just mm-hmm. somebody getting up on a pedestal or a lectern and preaching to us about how we should be kind to our fellow man. But it's it's actually through the point of view of people who have suffered greatly. And, yeah, through persecution. Uh, yeah, they're, they're the exactly ones who are and it, wrongful right. persecution. Mm-hmm. You know, those who have been hurt wrongfully and have every reason to be angry, every reason to lash out, every reason to seek the harm of those who have hurt them. And the cool thing, with <laughs> I gotta say, you kind of have your cake and eat it too with Count of Monte Cristo. You do see those who hurt him do come to, it comes to fruition that they, they fall, that they basically fall into a pit that they have dug themselves. And so he doesn't like, design the he doesn't he doesn't make them do anything that's out of character for them he just studies them so well sees uh really the injustice they continue to purvey for the people around them and sees the cracks and he exposes it
1: Mm, so mm -hmm. it's
0: you you kind of get a little bit of that where it's like the revenge does happen but he also then tries to seek the good of the families that they're left with and anybody else that you know, doesn't have to repeat the sins of the father or they don't have to, you know, become right. just like.
1: So, so it's not so much like I was saying about, he's not going around executing people. No. It's more about like no, shining this, a light. This isn't on boondock wrong... saints. <laughs> right. It's like shining a light yeah. on the wrongdoings exactly. and then letting, letting justice have its, exactly. ha- have its hand. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up our book discussion with that or maybe with this. I know you're the English teacher. you just recently read this, reread this book to create this this d and d arc. Do you recommend this book like do you do you recommend highly. people read okay
0: I highly recommend it. It is a book that I have read now three times in my life, twice by you know just for fun <laughs> um, and then the third time as preparation for this, and I have enjoyed it every single time, um even though it is quite a lengthy book it does not read uh so you know like I I was arguing with Moby Dick that it's worth it you can read it in chunks that it's a lot of it is about that perseverance and it's meant to be you know just taken bit by bit this I I was just devouring as I went uh because it's the human study of both the people you're rooting for and those you just like are hissing as soon as they <laughs> come onto stage, it's, it's fascinating how fully uh, Alexandre Dumas uh, gets them and how, how well of a study of human character and human personality you can tell that he does and he puts into these fully fleshed out people that are so flawed and yet you feel for so many of them.
1: Okay, so you've read the book twice for fun a third time for D&D. Mm. And you'll read it a fourth time when I find that coloring book. <laughs> when I find that abridged version. Yes. <laughs> that will be your fourth read.
0: Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's oll dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Love All
1: it. All right, perfect. All right, well, now let's shift a little bit. You, we were talking about a little bit already about how you reread it for, uh, as you were creating this arc for Dungeons & Dragons that we went through. And mm-hmm. again, I didn't say at the beginning, but if you're here... Hopefully you listened to the whole Count of Monte Cristo arc and hopefully the, even the episodes before it with the previous books. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, obviously, stop because we're going into spoiler territory here with the arc, with, with uh, Get our Get out of here. Go
0: back and listen. Go
1: back to the beginning, you heathen. And so now, if you are here, welcome. You, you, you are in the right place. You are very much loved here. <laughs> and so I want to go into when you were crafting this. And specifically, like the references, the, the, the elements, characters, quotes, anything else you took from the book and threw into the arc? What was it like creating it? What were some of your favorite moments that you get to take from the book and put into the podcast?
0: I guess I'll start with with quotes that I really liked uh, and quotes that really encapsulated how I was designing these characters. they you know, your, our main NPC who was guiding you every step of the way was Edmund Dantes, the, the protagonist, the main character of the novel. And there's such a, a sadness to him throughout the book. And he, he sways from bitter to sweet, like back and forth so many times. And it was fun trying to figure out what made him tick in our adventure. Um, but there's one line that he speaks in the book that I, I really love. And I had him speak to you guys. I think it was Gosh, it was when you guys were breaking into the armory, I think, and he's mm. just really agitated after finding out about Mercedes. Um, you know, frailty, that name is Mercedes, which is right. from the book, frailty, that name is woman, when he finds out about uh, Mercedes as well in there. Uh, and so it, the line is, what I require is that justice be done. I am on the earth to punish, madam. Um, and so it's, it's this you just see almost this scourge, this flaming sword, this wanting justice to be done and justice to be done now. And by God, he'll be the one who wields it. And it it is it is fascinating to see that because I felt that way. You know, I think all of us have felt that way of, um, I see something wrong and I'm so angry at it. I, want, I wish I could do something and I want to do it right now. And so you see this, in the towards the middle of the book when he's finding out more and he's studying on on those who betrayed him and find out more and more and including the woman that he loved so much so quickly ended up marrying one of the guys who betrayed him
1: um oh that's what happens in the book
0: yeah mercedes is (laughs) not the best best character in the book uh then again women Were expected to marry and had very little say and choice at this time. But still, there's that idea of like you said you'd love me forever, and now the man you choose to go uh, ahead and marry is also one of the men who betrayed me. Now, did she know it? No, but still, it's just that like Mm -hmm. how it ended up was enough to just ignite him. Right? Um, Yeah,
1: yeah. He was a very obviously tragic character. The way, and again, I'm only going off of the the podcast. He was a very tragic character, very sad and. Very hardened mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was interesting improving with him you know all of us are just goofballs being weird <laughs> and throwing know. out weird stuff and you can just tell that the way you played I appreciate the way you played it because he was just very straight and very made uh, just just deeply saddened. you could just tell and he especially even when he found out once he found out that um Oh, what's his what you just said? It his his wife's name. Mercedes. 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 That had kind of betrayed him in in his way, in a way, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but had become of her even got worse. Yeah, it was just he was a really tragic character the entire time. Why did you yeah. decide to turn him into? Was he a snake person? Was it a yuan? He was a yuan.
0: He was a yuan. Pure blood, which is yeah, it's kind of like any a, reason a, why
1: you chose that. What what was the spark of creativity that went there?
0: Honestly, it was looking around. I'm like, this would look cool. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's just okay, it is. Okay, hey, that's enough. Played, I've never played a UNT T. Pure Blood before, uh, and I thought that would just be an interesting take, especially as I knew I wanted Mercedes to be a vampire, and I thought that would be an interesting um, combo as well, and working with the voice as well. And uh, there there's a lot of like the idea of bitterness becoming a poison to the soul in the book. Oh, interesting. And so just... Uh-huh you know the serpents you know being poisonous and all that so just it, it kind of like to me as as it was coming about as i was designing him just the the image of a yuan c pure blood kept coming into my head
1: that's awesome that's very cool i mm-hmm. love the idea of, of that poison that hardens you almost yeah. as if he turned into a snake but in this mm-hmm. case he's always he's always been that way Uh, any other, any other references or quotes? Yes, yes. So
0: a a character that we also come across, uh, who will be a continuing character for us as well as Valentine. And Mm. in the novel, she is the daughter of one of the men who betrayed him. And he, uh, takes pity on her and, uh, you know, helps her with a, uh, what seems like a star crossed relationship. And he helps bring that about, um. So he, he kind of like mentors her in a way. And she herself is a fascinating, she's meant to be like an opposite of Mercedes in the book. She's kind of meant to show like, here's what it looks like when somebody will stay true to the person they say they love, even when everything around them and their whole community and their family's pressuring them to marry somebody else. Um, so it's, it's very fitting that her name is Valentine, right? something that's associated with love and romance. Anyways, I gave her uh, one of Edmund Dante's uh, lines from the book. When you first meet her, you know, she's being threatened, and she's uttering the name of her twin sister, Elizabeth, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of a callback to Frankenstein. And, you know, she doesn't seem to fear death. And so when you guys are talking to her, she says, what is death for me? One step farther into rest, two perhaps into silence. And when I read that in the book, you know, it's it's Edmund Dante saying like I'm I'm willing to carry this through. I'm not afraid of dying. I've already died inside. And hmm. so I'm, you know, I'm going to carry out my plans. But for her it was like kind of like that melancholy of I've lost so much. I've lost my sister. I've lost my freedom. I've lost what's, so many more things life, that you'll find or out, what's about. What's another thing? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's, that was a great line. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, I just thought she was a fitting person to give that line to. Yeah.
1: Can I ask, cause I mentioned it earlier and it was my favorite. Where'd the poop monster come from? Was that just something goofy <laughs> to throw in there? <laughs> obviously that's not in the book, is it? No, obviously it's not in the book, but was there yeah. just any no. <laughs> this when, designing that? I loved it so much.
0: <laughs> when I was looking at, uh, floor designs, you know, I'm looking online for just different ideas for floor designs of prisons and a lot of them are like, "Hey, here's a here's a side room that is a, a bathroom or something." I'm like, "Oh man, that there's, that just need a random room that you might go into that yep. I thought would be nothing, but I also and wanted it turned to work out to with be everything." <laughs> right. So there's different types of oozes, right? The little, just things that eat and dissolve everything that goes into them. And I thought, what an interesting sewage that would make if you had. A special type of ooze, uh, in this case, a black pudding, for those of you who know what that is.
1: Which was Um, the worst thing you could say (laughs) to describe it, because I thought that was just the way you were describing the poop. It's an actual type of ooze,
0: but I saw it. I'm like, yep, that would be a poop one.
1: Black pudding. Um, Buh.
0: One one of the best
1: moments, maybe in the entire show. (laughs) <laughs> well,
0: it also helps with your editing. You were working with the with the yes, sound of the voice, the sound effect. That was really fun. Yeah, really fun. So, no, uh, that was just a, a whim.
1: Anything else about the book uh, as you were designing yes. before we go on to Q and A?
0: The very the, the very two lat- the very last words of the novel are "wait and hope," and so I made yes. sure to make those the last two words spoken by me as the DM and the adventure. So I just you know. It, it was more of a a little tickle my fancy for myself and for those who've read it. But I wanted my last words that I speak uh, to be the last words that Dumas writes in the book.
1: I love that. Yeah. I remember after we played that one, I was just talking to you like, man, that was great. That was what a cool ending. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's from the book. So <laughs> it was <always> cool <laughs> when that happens. I'm like, man, good job, Kate. And you're like, hey, I mean, I just, I put it there, but. That's the author. The author it wasn't wrote it. me.
0: All credit. All credit to the author. Yes.
1: That was, that was a really cool way to end it before Bertram mm-hmm. had to go and spoil it all by adding a little bit of <laughs> Actually,
0: no, that was perfect. Just, you know, we, we do want it to be a little lighthearted. And so it's, it's nice to have moments of humor like that.
1: That's great. All right. Well, hey, now for this next portion, let's let's shift again into the Q&A portion. Of course. And again, before I do this like, again, you can read you can find us online, social media mm-hmm. or on Twitter and Instagram at oh, show. And you can also email us questions or comments or what you think of the show so far. At it's um oh ma'am show at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and talk yeah, with you on Even just to say hey,
0: we will respond. We love hearing from you guys.
1: Yes, we love talking with our listeners and fans and mm-hmm. getting to answer questions and talk about the little behind-the-scenes things like this. So if you have questions, please send them in. And so thank you to these two questions we have today from our listeners. The first one is from Carly, and she says why did you decide to use a beholder in the game? And also, the second part is: Is a death kiss a real D anD D monster, or did you homebrew it?
0: Well, you and I were talking about uh, when when I was first thinking of ways to make this obviously a prison and make it interesting. Of what is something that could be a security guard and. Mm-hmm. You really liked the idea of the eye, right? Something all mm-hmm. seen. Now, of course, there's the a joke. That you make. Yeah, th- there's a joke you make uh, when you guys are in the guard room of when you enter in, like, uh-huh. oh, is, are there a bunch of screens and
1: like six? Like, yeah, the like the stereotypical again, because I filter everything <laughs> through TV and movies. So I was thinking there'd be like twenty monitors up, and I remember <laughs> loving the the image of like all of those eyes being trained onto their own screen. And I guess when we we were playing, I was like, well, of course, that's what this room looks like because the TVs are everywhere.
0: Right, whereas I'm like, no, this is a low-tech facility. (laughs) (laughs) Low magic, low-tech. But yeah, yeah, it it was cool because it's also a formidable foe. Um, I definitely made sure to not use a full beholder um, because I wanted it to reflect the level that you were at. Because if you went up, yeah, because real beholders are like hardcore, right? They're like, (laughs) they're like
1: terrible. For you guys,
0: what are you you at? Level four?
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe three.
0: Yeah. So instead, what I did is I did not homebrew. Uh, Death Kisses are from fifth edition as well. Maybe even earlier. Somebody can uh, tweet at us and let us know. Uh, But the idea with beholders. Is that they are so proud, they're so uh, self-involved that they they are very uh, solitary, um, and because of that, they do not admit what they fear. They, you know, they're they're all about how great they are, and so if they actually do have a legitimate fear, it is so great uh, that it pops out of their subconscious when they have a nightmare, kind of like born from their own dreams. Mm. Um, but they're solitary and so the, they skitter away and so they, they still have like no idea about each other's whereabouts and so the idea that I had here is like what, you know, how can I involve a beholder and then if this whole place is being run by a vampire or vampires you know, what would they fear? Well, desanguination or you know, having their blood sucked and so that is exactly what a death kiss is. It is a beholder's fear of extreme blood loss. <laughs> so uh they are kind of like smaller beholders baby beholders um and so they're easier for you to take on and when i add on the elements of an anti-magic field then they don't even have full right
1: right Mm -hmm. because
0: typically their bites would also electrify you and have some like oh wow okay i didn't know that yeah they're still pretty they're still pretty kick-ass to use so if any of you have never used a Death kiss, and maybe you're only familiar with a more you know mainstream beholder. I would highly suggest looking at the different types, the subtypes of beholders that come out of their nightmares that are still fun and great to visualize. So
1: yeah, death and again, was I, I that picked. was so. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know that existed. Uh, that was such a cool way of taking something maybe more realistic to what our characters could fight, as opposed to uh, beholder. And so taking the death kiss, which then just worked more with. Nightmares and probably torturing yeah. the prisoners in there. It really fit that tone of the of the mm-hmm. world of the prison really well.
0: Yeah. Instead and, so, and in, in typical beholders they have, you know, a bunch of eye stalks. Right. Little tentacles off their head. And in here it they only have one eye and all the stalks are little mouths because remember it's born from their their fear of being bitten and, and uh, drained dry of blood. And right. so they're trying to fight it and so they form this thing that is meant to drain blood as well.
1: Right. That was great. Okay, the second question is from Cody, and he asks, "Uh, the count arc is your longest so far. How did the length affect Mm -hmm. your planning? Did you prefer, or do you prefer longer books and therefore longer arcs?
0: I don't have a preference for length of book. I'm more likely to find longer books that were written a while ago because that was Mm -hmm. in vogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, especially 1800s, you're going to find very lengthy, wordy books with sentences that last for a paragraph. Not all of them, uh, but uh, you know, you're more likely to get longer works from that. However, how it affected it, it there were so many more details I wanted to fit in. You know, characters to introduce, um, elements of the story I wanted to bring in, quotes I wanted to make sure that were spoken. And so I, you know, I take notes as I read and I kind of see how long those notes go. And that does inform me, like, that's a lot to shove in here. But also, what do I need from this story for what's going on with the world that we're in with. Exactly. Yeah. And Awen, And so it's it's not like a one to one where it's like, hey, if a book is longer than it has to be a longer story. It's just so far really worked out that way, where our two longest arcs so far have been our two longest books. But it's it's more so what is happening here, and also just how you guys are interacting with the adventure. Sometimes I go, come in thinking, all right, kind of like I have two or three goals for what we're going to get done in this session, and then you guys kind of blow it apart which is awesome, but as anybody who has ever been a DM would understand this, you know, you have this modular planning of, I have kind of these two or three goals, but I have other things available, and your players definitely go for the other options. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's finding ways to do the yes and, finding ways to let you guys have say over what we do, and making sure that the, the beats of the story are still hit.
1: Yeah, I think that's all well said. I, I think we're not beholden to those books in the sense that we feel we need to tell that book accurately. Obviously, for us, it's the OMamam world first and what mm-hmm. Penny, Awen, and Bertram are doing and the Book of Lore and all those things and then how we can use classic novels to help tell that larger story. Right but i mean you could have you could have made this arc 3 episodes if you wanted to it's more about what fits that what we need to do and what tells a better story for us i mean right. i think about the robin hood one and the robin hood was was barely robin hood the book that we played through we took we knew the story we wanted to tell and the beats we needed to hit and so it was just then taking the characters, taking the tone of the world, some quotes, some elements from the book and putting them in there, like sprinkling in, uh, them in there like Easter eggs, but not being like, well, we got to tell the whole Robin Hood story. You know, it's like, no, we don't we can make it as short or as long as we want to. We can mm-hmm. take I mean, I know that what just I know what you're itching to hopefully get to maybe at some point or to work in uh is The Great Gatsby, which just mm-hmm, be- recently mm-hmm. became um, Public Domain. And that what, what is that book, all of like 120 pages? It's really short. It's like a novella, right? Isn't it really short?
0: Yeah, it is a novella. It's uh, nine chapters long. Yeah, that is super short. Yeah, that, that is definitely a book I hope to get to.
1: Right. And we could make that, you know, 20 episodes. It's, it's kind of, I mean, right. we probably won't. But it's more about just fitting what works for us. And it's the same reason why Frankenstein... I think we're just learning how to play this game and how to make episodes of it because again mm-hmm. we're used to playing in D D and D in a living room uh, and not caring about things like runtime. But for those those first, first couple Frankenstein episodes, some, some of those episodes were about an hour and a half, maybe two hours long, and right. we just knew that those that was really hard to make and produce. And so I mean, with the count, I think the count has been a really freeing and uh, creatively. I know for me, and, and I'm sure you, you would agree, Kate, because it's like, hey, you guys arrived, you talked, you walked down the hallway, and you saw a monster, and, and that's good. That's a good episode. It, and it's, it was 40 minutes. It doesn't need to be two hours or some right. arbitrary time limit that we need to hit. And so being being free to break it out. I know there were some episodes we even recorded for count that were like, hey, that could have been one episode. It would, probably would have been an hour and a half, two hours. But sometimes we're like, man, there's two episodes in there. Let's just make it two episodes. Right. And, and I think,
0: there actually are, are plot points that happen. So it's yeah, not still the cutting it there. for the sake of cutting it. It's, it's like, no, there there are several important things that happen. So this does form two episodes.
1: Exactly. Yeah, The Count of Monte Cristo probably could have been six episodes. They just would have been really fat and chunky episodes mm-hmm. as opposed to, man, ten leaner, kind of faster, faster-paced episodes that hopefully are easier right. to, to digest. Right. So yeah, so I mean, who knows? Maybe this will be the longest arc we ever do in the entire series. Who knows? <laughs> we'll Maybe see. not.
0: Hey, we'll see what we, else you got uh, up your sleeve. Don't challenge me to make Gatsby twenty. We're just never gonna leave Gatsby.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's just a party. It's just a, a, a all night debauchery a party. never party.
0: <laughs> love it.
1: Okay, perfect. All right. Well, hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this again. This book report episode. We mm-hmm. love doing the D and D and playing the game and telling our story. But also what we love about this podcast and a reason that Kate and I wanted to start it was just to advocate for reading and reading classic literature and just promoting that. And so that's why we wanted to do these book report episodes, too, just to encourage people to go out, read, try something new. Don't trust my word for it, but trust an actual English teacher with her master's degree in in uh, in English and teaching. Exactly. We have. Yeah, Caitlin and maybe here maybe you'll us. find
0: a new genre. Like a lot of us tend to get stuck in a rut of like I only read these types of books, but maybe you'll hear an adventure that we do, and it is a piece of classic literature that's in a genre that you haven't fully tapped into yet. To give it a try and expand your world of stories, expand yeah. your worldview from it and hear from authors that you otherwise would not even spare a glance to. So I, I really cannot push that enough. I also, before we close, want to send a shout out and a big thank you again to Wilbo Baggins and Joe Cat for yes. uh, featuring us as, as guest spots on our show, uh, just taking time out of their schedule too. <laughs> to give us their their acting prowess uh, that was yeah really fun hoping to Collaborate. Do more and, yeah,
1: yeah hoping to do more mm-hmm. and more of that of bringing in little guest stars playing little bit parts and uh it's just a fun way to talk with uh, to include our friends that we've met virtually who also love d d in books and just want to share that love with other people and so yeah super thankful for them so thanks for uh, shouting them out Kate. And, and if any of you would oh, like
0: ahead. to suggest somebody to be showcased on our show, please let us know. You can uh, once again, you can reach out and tweet at or, or DM me on at uh, @omamamshow. show. I run that. And you can also email us Omamam show at gmail.com. But yeah, if you have an idea of somebody who'd like who you would like to see featured, maybe who somebody who's in the tabletop role playing game community um, that you are excited about. If there's somebody in the podcast community or just nerd adjacent, let us know.
1: Yeah, people we need to follow. Other people we, mm-hmm. we're just trying to build the yeah. community of this show. And so yeah, please reach out to us. Also, in that we were talking about books, and and certainly we don't know every single book in existence on in public domain. No, so if you have recommendations of books that you think um, are by you know, we're we're certainly trying to break the, out of the the white the straight white men books, but the, <laughs> Those are the ones that are in public domain predominantly. So, if you know from from uh, women or um, people of color who, who have written, we're trying to absolutely push those two yes. and bring those to light and play in those mm-hmm. worlds would be a lot of fun. So, again, yeah, reach they, out to us with book recommendations, books, uh, all that plays, stuff. Uh, yeah, novellas, poetry, short stories, yeah. anything essays, public domain. Even. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And last thing, just as we go off. As a call to action for you to help us, it would really help us a lot and help grow the show if you could rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen uh, to your podcast. It really does help. It helps... Just legitimize so the show. Much. If, yeah, if you're a fan, so please. T- it takes like 10 seconds. Just go there. Say, I like this show. Rate it whatever you want. Just be honest and just help share this with other people. Share it with mm-hmm. your, reach out to your friends who love D&D who maybe haven't heard of it. Because I know there's a lot out there who haven't heard us. Uh, you know, there's more in uh, D&D podcasts than just Critical Role. So please, if people are, are thirsting for more D&D fun, comedy podcasts. Podcast, people who like literature, please share this with your friends. It's really the only mm-hmm. way we're going to grow this show and find more earholes that we can hopefully entertain. <laughs> I like that. Awesome. All right. Ear well, holes. hey, Kate, earholes. Let's get into your ear holes. Uh on that note, Caitlin, thanks so much and for being here and guiding us through the Count of Monte Cristo. My and, pleasure
0: as always.
1: And thank you all out there for listening. And we will see you all in our next book. Caitlin. oliver
0: twist and All i right, promise right. there won't be i know i promise there won't be a a crap ton of horrible cockney accents
1: <laughs> there's only room in this podcast for one bad british accent and that is bertram baby <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice.
1: thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you soon
0: yes bye guys The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. (laughs) Are you two still awake? Dad, Dad, we're too excited.
1: excited!
0: You'll be tired at Mockery Manor tomorrow, and it's bigger than ever, so you
1: really do need to sleep. Daddy, tell us about the new expansion. Okay, okay. Yay! Once upon a time, there was a wonderful place, Mockery
0: Manor. Everyone loved it, but sometimes it felt lonely. The manor longed for a companion, so they built a whole new park right next door and called it Claytonville. And it was the rootinest, tootinest place you ever did see.
1: Yeehaw.
0: Hop on board the brand new Mockery Railroad all the way to Claytonville. Toot toot! In Claytonville, there are four cowboy lands to explore! Lasso a goat in Farming Valley! Kiss your girl's best friend in Lovelorn town. Stop it, Terry. And in cowboy Christmas town, hop on down to the bluegrass grotto to meet cowboy Santa. Ho, ho, hold down! And are you brave enough to ride the wildest ride in Claytonville? Look out, it's the Four Spurs Pine Train! <laughs>
1: to go to Mockery Manor and Claytonville. Two parks in one and only 19.99 for a family of four. And how about you? Yeah, that's right. You, listening to this. Are you ready to come back to Mockery Manor? <laughs> Season 3,
0: available now.